0: You're about to listen to Office Hours with me, Georgia Howe. This is a weekly companion series to PragerU's popular five-minute videos, where I explore various political and cultural topics with PragerU experts, asking questions and digging deeper to bring you perspectives that you may not hear in a traditional college classroom. To watch the video version of this series, click on the link in the description or go to dailywire.com. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgia Howe with The Daily Wire. Over the past year, we've seen waves of parents begin to speak out at their local school board meetings about concerning content being taught to their kids, from pornographic reading material to radical racial and gender ideology. Some observers of the education movement are pointing to what they call the Howard Zinnification of the education system as a potential factor in this. So who was Howard Zinn? And how has his landmark work, A People's History of the United States, impacted Americans' outlook on America? Today, we talk to one of those observers. Dr. Mary Graybar is a resident fellow at the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization and the founder of the Dissident Professor Education Project. She spent quite a bit of time breaking down and digesting Zinn's work and has written a response titled, Debunking Howard Zinn. She joins us today. Let's jump right in. Dr. Graybar, thanks so much for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So first question, Dr. Graybar, who was Howard Zinn? You've written that he was a Marxist and that he was operating with political motives.
1: But what do we actually know about Zinn the man? Yeah, well, Howard Zinn was born in 1922. Uh, two, and he died in 2010. And he was a professor first at Spelman College, a professor of history, Spelman College, and then at Boston University from where he retired in 1988. But he was much more than that. He wasn't a very good professor. Um, We do know from his FBI files that were over 400 pages long, that he was most likely a member of the Communist Party. And that is according to an analysis by Ron Radish, a historian who himself was a member for a brief period of time of the Communist Party. And so he compared Zinn's file to his own and he said it was credible. Um, Zinn himself in his own um, autobiography writes about how he was lured as a teenager growing up in Brooklyn by the communists coming into his neighborhood, how he had participated in a protest and uh, allegedly had been beaten up by a policeman and then woke up and realized that this country was not a just country and that the Marxists were right. And if you sort of look at all his writings, they all point to one solution for the problems that he sees as endemic to this um, American regime, and that is socialism. So put all those things together, and I think we can definitively say that he was a Marxist and uh, had once been a member of the Communist Party.
0: So I actually was gifted a copy of Howard Zinn's book when I was in high school, so I am familiar with it. But can you give us a little background on that book?
1: Well, he wrote that book in the late 1970s, and he claims he did a lot of original research and uh, you know went on his 20 years of teaching experience. He did no such thing. It came out in 1980. It got a slow start. It had a, sh- a very small original print run of about four or 5,000. But as teachers started incorporating it into classrooms, sneaking it in, it gained in popularity. And it went through a number of printings. Um, Some of the things that made it popular was the 500th anniversary of the Discovery of America by Christopher Columbus in 1992. So that, uh, his book was used. In order to um, demolish the reputation of Columbus in 1997, there was a movie made called Goodwill Hunting and his book had a starring role in that movie. It was promoted. And by 2002, he had sold a million copies and it's estimated today, well, As of two years ago, there were 3,300,000 copies of it sold. So I would say it's probably close to 4 million copies. And it's a consistent bestseller for Amazon.
0: What do you think made Zinn's book so um, sort of light fire with all these teachers and academics in the 90s? Was there something going on in the culture that made him very appealing at that time? I mean, it sounds like he got a very small start but at least by the time i was in high school and you know the early 2000s it, he was everywhere so what 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 was the cultural moment that kind of um, gave him a start
1: yeah well Zinn um, came along in the 1960s and the uh, academic profession uh Changed. Uh, so historians became activists, and he kind of rode that wave because he was thinking along those same lines as well. So, um, this kind of distorted history uh, that was used to promote social justice was being accepted. Um, most of it wasn't quite as distorted as Howard Zinn's, but um, Teachers uh, also were being radicalized, and students uh, allegedly liked it because it made them feel very smart, like they were refuting the history of their parents and their grandparents. It's like the main character in The Catcher in the Rye. It made them feel like they were smarter than the adults in the room. And so teachers exploited that sense. And um, Howard Zinn has a writing style that really emotionally captures um, people, especially young people who are idealistic and who uh, tend to be skeptical of their elders. So
0: you assert that he really takes some creative license with history and he distorts some facts to the point of being 180 degrees different from at least other historians' understanding of them. Can you give a couple of examples of just how much license Zinn takes in his interpretations of history?
1: Yeah, well, it starts with Columbus. um, And he is actually plagiarizing from a fellow radical's book, uh, but he's also leaving out words with ellipses. And so when he recreates that scene where Columbus lands in the Bahamas and he's meant by these... Uh, gentle Arawaks, he calls them. They're actually the Atenos. Um, he writes down in his log book that he immediately felt that, uh, you know, we could make, uh, they would make fine servants. He doesn't indicate that he, that Columbus was actually referring to um what he saw as the warring tribe, because these um, Tainos had scars on them. They were being um, attacked by the Caribs. And so he misrepresents that. And um, he leaves out two days worth of log entries in that one ellipses. He leaves out such things that We could make them uh, free and convert them to our faith more by love than by force. So Christopher Columbus uh, was concerned about saving their souls. He he felt he had a mission and he expressed his admiration and affection for these natives. Um, Zinn presents him as wanting to enslave them. Um, as uh, chopping off their hands, as raping and pillaging, and Christopher Columbus did no such thing. Um, Some of the Spanish uh, who were with him did those things against his orders, but um, resents Christopher Columbus as doing that himself. Um, On the Vietnam War, Uh, Zinn does the same thing. Uh, He he actually co-edited the Pentagon Papers, but in the documents that he reproduces um, in his uh, People's History, he leaves off the ends of sentences to make it appear that the American government officials were imperialists, concerned only about getting resources from Indochina and not concerned about the communist threat. So what he leaves off at the ends of those sentences are words that indicate that these are resources for the region and that the communists would be the imperialists. Um, He does that also with a book by Douglas Pike about the Viet Cong Douglas Pike talks about their communication strategies. He uses that phrase, but the communication strategies he makes explicit are agitprop and terror. And Zen makes uh, him out to be saying that the Viet Cong were teaching the villagers, in South Vietnam, how to communicate and how to organize politically the exact opposite of what Douglas Pike was saying. Um, So uh, they were not community organizers helping the South Vietnamese Douglas Pikes actually accused them of genocide. So who was the original audience
0: that Zinn was writing for? Was his original plan to write for high school students sort of kids who are in their formative years, or was it for adults originally?
1: I think he wrote it um, for both. He um, he patterned it on um, the format of textbooks, you know, chronologically. He said he was originally going to organize it by various groups such as, um, you know, Indians, um, uh, slaves, women, women. Uh, you know, workers and so forth, but he patterned it on the format of textbooks. So, I I do believe he did intend it to be used as a textbook. Um, but it's also become popular with just general readers who want to read a one-volume history of the United States.
0: Now, regardless of how much we agree or disagree with Zinn's conclusions. I think most people recognize that he was an extremely effective agent for promoting his political ideas and getting um, the message out to the masses. So what can we learn from him in that regard?
1: Yeah, um, well, I would encourage all parents to look at their children's reading material. And most people who have any kind of love for this country or have any sense of, you um, you know, real history, will open Zen's book and say, this is just a very hateful document. And if you read it, and it seems very one-sided, and is presenting up groups of people as either all evil or all good, um, you know, take a look at it. Um, you know, look at uh, how it's written. Howard Zinn's book is written with a lot of leading questions, which makes the reader believe that he is coming to his own conclusion. Um, so he's a very skillful propagandist. And, um, you know, my book debunking Howard Zinn, uh, is intended to be a resource for parents because I've gone through the research. I have the footnotes, um, almost a thousand footnotes, and I've compared uh, the sources that Zen cites to what the actual authors say. And I've also compared the points that he makes with reputable historians books. And so I was careful also to not just use conservative historians, but also liberal historians who, um, you know, are being true to the facts. Howard Zinn's book, you, you mentioned before, it's
0: kind of an exciting read for kids and it's it's written in a sort of easy to digest way. Is there an alternative out there that is um, well-written and engaging for kids that does give a long-term history of the U.S. that you might recommend as an alternative that is more uh, true to the facts?
1: Well, yes. Uh, there was a book that came out a couple years ago called Land of Hope by Wilfred McLay. And um, he has a very nice writing style. It's very even-handed. It tells a story. And one of the reasons that Zinn's book became so popular is that textbooks are written by committees and they're so dry. There's no storyline. There's no point of view. And I think Land of Hope uh, provides a great alternative, especially for high school students.
0: All right. Well, Mary, thank you so much for coming on. This This has been wonderful. Where can people find you online if they want to follow you, follow your work?
1: Yeah well, um, I have a website, uh, Marygraybar.com and I also have my nonprofit dissidentprof.com. And if you go to dissidentprof.com, you can sign up for my newsletter and um, I announce when I have articles or when I'll be speaking. Um, so those are two great places, two ways to reach me or you can reach me through the Alexander Hamilton Institute at the ahi.org.
0: Dr. Graybar, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. All right, folks, that's the end of today's office hours. If you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Graybar, make sure and go check out her recent PragerU video called Howard's Inn and the Book That Poisoned a Generation. Until next week, I'm Georgia Howe. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to see the video version of this show, or if you haven't seen this week's PragerU five-minute video, make sure to click on the link in the description below, or head over to dailywire.com. We'll see you next Monday for a new interview with another PragerU presenter.